Hello and welcome, y'all. You're listening to Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. Whoever you are and wherever this finds you, I hope you have a good time listening and that you can walk away with something meaningful to take with you. A few years back, I recorded a couple of conversations with one of my best friends and brothers in the faith, Nathaniel Cheeks. I thought they were lost, but a few weeks ago I actually found them, and so I wanted to present those to you. Now, these were recorded in a spare room at his house, so the sound might be a little bit off, but hopefully you can forgive that and enjoy it all the same. And in this conversation, we spent a few minutes talking about what it was like to grow up as sons of United Methodist pastors. So without further ado, here we go. We won't even, we won't include all that extra stuff. You talking about your favorite Eddie Murphy impersonations. <laughs> um, well, it's good to be in Kentucky again for the first time in three months when it was cold. We both grew up as preacher's kids. And uh, when I was growing up, um, people always had questions about it that I always thought were, I never understood where they were coming from with them because it never occurred to me like the whole being a preacher's kid thing because it's just what I was. But uh, Derek, uh, my friend Derek, who's the pastor at Atlanta Christian Church, he'd asked me a little while ago to, if I had any insight about it because his son is 14 and I guess at the time he was about 12 or 13. He was just kind of trying to figure out what it must be like for his son. So I'd written a, series of blog posts about it and decided it might be also interesting to have a few conversations with other pastors kids I knew so that's what's kind of that's why I went with this one but right off the bat people would ask me what's it like being a preacher's kid and I never knew because like I said when you when you grow up you don't think about the things but did you ever get that oh yeah I mean and I I do think that there's kind of two two reasons why for that, at least from my perspective on why people might do. I mean, we're always fascinated by lives that we think might potentially vastly different from our own. It's why I think reality TV is really big. Like, for instance, there's a show called The Last Alaskans that I absolutely love. And part of the reason I'm fascinated is just because it's a life that's completely different than mine. And I think that there's a a genuine inquisitive nature that people have if they think that something might be different than what they experience. But in addition to that, I think that the American church, unfortunately, has has failed in some way of helping people understand what the concept of church is. Mm-hmm. That it's you don't go to church one hour a week, that you are the church. That's right. what the church is meant to be. And so we have all these families that go to church one hour a week. And so for that one hour a week, yeah, that's what that's what church family looks like. But then when they go back home their life doesn't reflect what they say in that one hour. Yeah. And so I think in some, in maybe in part of their mind, they're, they're thinking, well, the pastor's family is what this one hour looks like all week, all the time. All the time. And then they're curious about that. Like, is your life genuine? Like, do you guys just do Bible studies all day, every day? Do yeah. you guys sing Kumbaya every night? Well, no, we're a normal family. But I think that they, they do have some curiosity and wonder, wondering, like, does their life reflect what they say 
publicly as a pastor in that family. And so I do, I mean, I, I did get that question quite a bit. I honestly personally wore the, I, the title of pastor's kid with a badge of honor. I loved it. Um, a lot of kids don't like it. Um, but for me, I thought it was a really cool thing to say I was. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I my family was, still is, but we're just a really eclectic six people. And growing up, I never had a problem with it. And I, the first part of my life that I remember, we lived in a smaller town. I went to a really small elementary school, and I grew up with all these people. That's It never really occurred to me that it was something different in the eyes of anybody else until we moved to this community near Atlanta where there were just a lot more people. And I guess I was around 9 or 10. And that's when people, like, it became more of a curiosity. And that's when I started thinking about, is this really a thing that people consider to be that different? But, and I do think part of it did have to do with the fact that people are fascinated by something that they perceive as different. Mm-hmm. I never thought about the idea of, like, the this must be what church is like all the time. But, I mean, I did get that people did ask me questions about... I remember one time this kid, who I'd known for a while, like we were in middle school together, and I remember he found out I was a preacher's kid. And he said, so is your family, like, real religious? I don't even know how to answer that, because I don't know what you consider religious. And do we go to church every week? Well, yeah, but... There are a lot of families that go to church every week that aren't preachers' families, like all the other families in the church. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I never could figure out why people thought it seemed so different, because there were people that knew me before they knew I was a preacher's kid. So like, clearly, I mean, I'm as you know, I'm not, I'm not a really controversial out there type personality. I don't think. <laughs> why would you think it'd be any different if you know who I am? Like, I'm yeah. not, we're friends. <clears throat> so I don't know. That that always, for a while it got, I think, what's it like being a doctor's kid or a policeman's kid or anything else? Right? Exactly. I don't know because I haven't, I've wanted, I thought it'd be interesting to ask people whose parents, like second career pastors or something, where they grew up as one thing and then their parents went, because then there might be actually, there might be a different. Like, did your life change? You know, but I will say, like, just in defense of that a little bit, is that you know, if you're a pastor, the basic foundation of who you are, where you believe who you are, is influenced by the very like that job is influenced by our faith. Yeah. Whereas if you're a cop, it's not like there's a faith like a police faith. True. Or, and so it, it is slightly different in that area. But I agree on, on with your general premise that yeah, like. That question isn't asked. Maybe for famous kids, it probably is because it's that's another area where people are intrigued. Like, what's it like to be a famous kid, famous person's kid? Like, because I'm sure it's crazy. Yeah, um, the whole fishbowl thing. Yeah, and I, w- I wanted to cover that too in a minute, but I guess we'll, just jumping around, you you mentioned the whole idea that like for most people they go to church the one hour a week and that's what church is. <clears throat> the idea that that must be their life all the time. And I've found that that was a perception people had that home life must be church and Bible studies all the time. And in our family between there's, I have two sisters and a brother who are all older. And so I'm in kindergarten while my oldest sister's in 
senior in high school and then two kids in between. And there wasn't time to go home and do <laughs> Bible studies and church all the time. I mean, everybody had their life going on, you know? I mean, we played tennis and we went camping and we did stuff that other families did. Like, we'd say the blessing around the table and we'd have dinner together, but I was always shocked that people thought, there are people that genuinely thought like we'd go home and like sit around and pray all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe there are families that do that, but it wasn't us. Yeah. And I know like in our, in our family, I, I, cause I don't want to like, I would, if someone says like, is your family different being a Like, no, I, I think our family tried to model what it meant to be a Christian family. Right. Like there's not a different, like whether my dad was a pastor or whether my dad was just a person and my mom, whether they were just people that believed in who Jesus Christ is, that's what our family was trying to reflect. But on, yeah, we were, it wasn't like it was any different than any other family, like in terms of what we were into and stuff like that. And in terms of just our faith, like, yeah, like faith was an important part of our family, but it wasn't like it was forced down our throats. Right. Like they, my parents presented the gospel to me and my brothers and presented who Jesus was and what he's done. And they left it up to us to decide if that was like, that's something we were going to choose to follow. Now, there are certain things that parents have to do for the betterment of their kids. Like there were certain things that we did that we didn't want to do growing up. Like, you know, I was in the church play group when I was in elementary school. I hate doing plays. Like I hated plays, but there was something about being a part of, you know, it was awful. I hated it, but there was just something about being, that was important that we were participating with other kids at the church. And, um, well, I'd have the same, like you do choir or whatever. And I, I never like being in choir. I didn't mind, but just the general, I mean, anything when you're a kid, when you'd rather be doing something else. Yeah. Like I'd rather be go outside and play. Or exactly. Whatever. When you're being, I mean, whether, I mean, you, you could say that about taking music lessons or, or any kind of thing where your parents get you to be a part of it because it is good for your social development and faith development, but you're also a kid. And so there's that, well, I don't want to do that. I want to exactly. go play with my GI Joes or something. So, I mean, but I wasn't, I don't ever view that. As, I never viewed that as being forced to do anything. I mean, it wasn't like a, there was an ultimatum. I mean, you're a kid, so you're going to, your parents have control over your lives anyway. But, um, but I, it never bothered me. Yeah, and I think that if you took a snapshot of our family at any given time, you'd have been like, oh my gosh, they're just as dysfunctional as any family. Like, me and my right. brothers, we, we didn't get along for a decent amount of time. Like, both my brothers are very similar. I'm very different. And so we argued. And I'm sure if you came into our house at certain times, you'd see me and my brothers getting in, into fights. Right. And you'd be like, what's wrong? Why can't this family get their kids under control? And But I just think it's part of just, you know, the brokenness of just humanity and then just being a normal family. But it's not like, yeah, like we've, we've said, we weren't singing Kumbaya every night before we went to bed. But no, you would still, I still, I still think and hope that if people saw our family, they would have been like, they are a family that represents who Jesus is. Yeah, and I, I, I also think I knew kids. I knew kids in high school whose families were way more religious, and that really, you know, everything has to be about God and Jesus, and every decision has to be, you know, funneled through prayer. And not that there's obviously don't have a problem with prayer, but I mean the kind of repressive absolutely no time for anything else who weren't preachers families at all 
and most of the, you know, the Methodist church, you know, you have a tighter community with other pastors. And so most of the other pastors, kids I knew were all generally the same kind of, the same kind of quirkiness at the same kind of times, every kid anywhere. It's just that our parents happened to work at a church and the harder, you know, the harder days of the week was during the weekend and seemed kind of not that different. Yeah. And like I say, I, I, I did where being, I loved being a pastor kid. I loved it. I thought it was really cool to have my dad be the pastor. I was proud of it. I really, I really enjoyed it. And as the youngest child, I always enjoyed being the center of attention anyway. <laughs> and so like, I just, I, I liked the, um, I, there was a, there was a children's choir thing we did one time. It must've been four. And it was a big musical thing. And the robes for the kids were these awful golden robes that went down past our hands. And I couldn't stand it. So I kept fidgeting with it. And the choir director kept saying, no, you can't do that. We're angels. Angels don't have hands. And I always thought that was really (laughs) weird. Like at four, I remember thinking, I don't think that's true. So we go to this and it's a, Rome First Methodist Church was high church, like stained glass windows, pipe organ, and just very traditional. And I got, I was annoyed, and I got bored. And so my dad is sitting up on the stage in his big chair with the associate pastors on the other side. And in the middle of the thing, I just went up and went and sat in my dad's lap <laughs> in front of everybody. Nice. And he's panicking, like, what do I do? And everybody <laughs> in the church is having a laughing fit. And this one girl is trying to do a solo and her family had come in town to watch her. And then apparently, at the, I remember the video was actually of me sitting on my dad's lap while this girl's doing this. <laughs> I mean. Nice. Anyone, everybody's hearing that now and thinking, well, of course you did that. So we talked about being normal in like this sense. Like, what are the normal things that y'all did? Yeah, I mean, I mean, me and my brothers, we are all, I mean, my older brother was really into hockey. So a lot of part of his life was going to being taken an ice rink. Sometimes me and my little brother going and freezing our freezing our butts off while we watch him play hockey. But I was really into sports, whether it was basketball, baseball, football, uh, running. And then my little brother, he was kind of a troublemaker. Um, he he was honoring. Oh, um, Matthew! But Matthew and Jonathan both were um, super super intelligent. And usually it was those two ganging up on me, which that's okay. But it was interesting. Like I know, um, for instance, when we, Jonathan, my older brother, were younger, on Saturdays, my parents, for a while, they took us to Xavier University for this thing called Super Saturday. And Jonathan was enrolled in like this chemistry thing that he would do every Saturday morning. And then my parents put me into freaking Spanish. And like <laughs> for for Jonathan, he loved it because Jonathan's, I mean, he, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. But for me, I'm just like, I want to be watching cartoons and playing. I don't want to be learning Spanish. <laughs> like, and because that's just not how I, how I was wired. But I mean, yeah, those are, those are the things that activities were in my, I mean, we were all in, Jonathan was in the band and my mom made me take piano lessons at one point And I'm sad I threw a fit and eventually they took me out of it because now I wish that's a skill set I had. Um, it's not but, too late. <laughs> got plenty of time. Exactly. But it would have been nice to start that at the age of five. Yeah, when you can be a prodigy. Um, but, you know, those were the things like 
my dad, he would sometimes take us out of school in the middle of the day. We'd go to movies. So, you know, those are just the memories that I like, things, activities that we did, vacation, normal vacations, go to Florida every summer and spend a few weeks down there with my grandparents. And UK, was University of Kentucky basketball right. games is a big part of, like, what our family enjoys doing. So whether it's football or basketball games and going to those things and um, just, you know, obviously living in Kentucky is a big part of our culture anyways. But, but yeah, so... It's the ser- your your typical stuff that kids are into and sh- running your kids around from thing to thing just so they can kind of be exposed to a bunch of different things, just right. find the things that they like, enjoy doing, like doing, and might be passionate about so that when they grow older, you know, never know what those things might turn into. But I would say, for the most part, um, sports was the biggest part of our, acti- yeah. our activity set. Yeah, we were all over the map because... My oldest sister was in college by the time I was old enough to really be paying attention. and But she was really involved in anything. She always was interested in technology. And I can remember her vaguely, vaguely remember her coming home. And this is in like late 80s, 88, 89. Good decade. Good decade. Especially the early part of the decade. Exactly. She was, she would tell us about this thing called the internet. Uh, trying to, she would try to explain <laughs> that. And like, and now you can't even imagine the time. But I mean, she was into like technology stuff. She got into, she got really big into politics. She um, worked in Washington when she was in college. And then my brother um, was really into music, just a phenomenal musician. And he did the marching band thing, and he uh, studied music for a while in college. And then my sister Julie was into dance, and then very business savvy so she was just she she kind of let me pal around with her when she was in high school and I was in middle school and we were real close during uh, those years and I mean I did I played soccer and you know I was into art and music as well and but it was the same kind of you're so busy doing all the other stuff that you know church is another one of those things that you're doing and we We'd go on, you know, Sundays and there'd be church night supper and everything, but there were just as many families that were there every week also. So it was kind of cool to, to me, I like the, there's something about having the rhythm of it, like Wednesday night, you know, or Sunday morning. It's just something that was kind of a mile marker during the week because everything else could just be totally chaotic yeah. when you're going around. Did you ever get, <laughs> I would get people that want to have theological discussions and I mean literally people would say well will I go to hell if I cuss or will I go to hell if I drink or whatever and it's a little different from my because I was always interested I was interested in the theology stuff anyway like I would have my dad read me bible stories from the good news bible because I like the pictures in it but but I always thought why are you asking me this because you, you're not asking me this because you know I'm interested in theology you're asking me this because you know my dad's a pastor. Yeah. Like I don't know if you're going to hell for that. Yeah. But if you're, I will say, if you're concerned about the eternal ramifications of something you're doing, you might want, not want to do them. <laughs> but I always thought that was just so strange. Like, why people assume a set of knowledge that you must have because of who your parents. Yeah. Are. And I, this was that's an interesting question because and it's I think it's kind of interesting for because both of us not only are PKs but you know both of us are pastors. And so it's interesting because it's like, okay, was, 
am I asked this question because of the PK status or, you know, I was 15 when I decided that I was going to go into ministry. And so my life at a time where I could answer theological questions with some, any type of like, in type of intelligence, because as a middle schooler, I'm not going to give an intelligent answer. I'm going to be an idiot. I'm going to probably say something rude and disrespectful. So you, yeah. So like, as if you know, I, is that question asked because of the of being a PK? And on right. some level, I think it is. But also, I think on some level, when people find out that oh, you're going in ministry or you are in ministry, then those questions inevitably will come. And usually, it's like the really loaded questions that are not simplistic yeah. to answer. And yeah. Like of you know what what do what are the the ramifications or the consequences of this this and this and it's like oh man that's a lot to unpack yeah, it's and not it's like even... not a, it's like a quick question and it's going to take me a long time to answer give you an answer for that right and um, you know so I and nobody do... ever wanted to ask the really simple stuff like what Bible verse did this happen in yeah. or like how old was Jesus when like they want to ask you know <laughs> well, how do you interpret this passage. I don't want to have this conversation with you. <laughs> I would I would say more often than whether they ask me like, you know, you said am I going to hell for this? More often it was people thought I just assumed everyone was going to hell because I was being right. judgmental. It's like, no, what? Yeah. like just like no, I'm like that's not it at all. And but there was I think an assumption of because you are a PK that on some level you are judgmental of your peer group. Yeah. And that's not wasn't even remotely close to being true. Um, just kind of just an unfair tag that gets put on you. Yeah, and that was that was another thing that I always thought was interesting is that people would act differently yes. around you. Very, very. And it's the same when you're a preacher's kid or when they find out you're in seminary or ministry. There was this whole... Um, I mean, there were people who I knew long enough. You know, like in high school, you, most of my friends were... A lot of my friends were in church because I just happened to spend a lot of time there as I got older. Like that's where my interest landed. Um, and I had a lot of friends in high school, but a lot of times those other things didn't come up and there would be people that they'd known me long, you know? And then as soon as they find out you're a preacher's kid, the whole dynamic changed. I'm literally the same person I was six seconds ago, but now you think you have to act differently around me. And, that was that was endlessly frustrating because you're constantly having to prove that you're not one of those jerks who immediately judges looks down because those people are out there, mm-hmm. but they're not. It's they're not necessarily pastors or pastors' kids. Like it goes back to those same people who whose families were just repressively uptight and religious mm-hmm. who would go around keeping scores on people. I mean, I knew people that would do just about that. And we're trying to keep people accountable. No, you're not keeping them accountable. You're using it to judge them because you don't have a real relationship with them anyway. But I always thought that was that was frustrating. Yeah, I, I, it's actually one of the biggest frustrations <clears throat> in terms of just being involved in ministry, period. Right. People find out, okay, whether it's been a pastor kid or being a pastor, they automatically change who they are and who they present to you. It's like, right. man, I just want to see what your heart is. Like, be who you are. I'm okay with who you are. Right. I'm going to care about you regardless. Like just the other day, I was in a in a meeting, a staff meeting at work, and so I have two jobs. I'm a pastor, but I also work through uh, through another nonprofit. And they they made a person made a crash joke during our meeting, and then they said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to stop there because Nathaniel's in the room." What what does that even what what the heck? Like yeah, I 
I can, I'm, a, I'm an adult, I can handle that. Be, be who you are. I want you to be who you are. And hopefully, like, through me caring about who you are, and, like, even if we disagree on certain things, you'll start, there'll be a trust that develops between us. And right. it drives me crazy when people would act differently. My friends did that when I was in high school because I was a preacher's kid. And, you know, I remember um, it wasn't, and it wasn't just people changed, you know, how they behaved towards me, but they also held me to this weird A scrutiny. different standard, yeah. And so, like, I remember in high school, um, I've never been much of a cusser. I just, cursing's never been my thing. Um, but, and and for, not because cursing in and of itself, it's whatever. It's just, I've always said ri- right. ridiculous words that I make up that serve as my curse words. But I was having a bad day in high school. It was my senior year. Um, and I've said the F word once in my life, and this is that moment. Yeah, as, yes, I'm a pastor that has said the F word. And there, there are a few. I had a friend, his name was Bubba. His name really wasn't Bubba. He just liked to go by Bubba. I don't know why. I don't know why you choose to go by Bubba, but he did. If you choose to go by <laughs> Bubba, then there's that's all you need to know. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so he never bought lunch. He would mooch off of people's, like if you didn't eat it, he would eat it, and then he saved himself the dollar thirty five it was to purchase a lot. There was one in every school. And so it was chicken nugget day. Chicken nugget day is a good day. It's a good day. And there's this neon yellow gravy that's in the mashed potatoes and I love dipping my rolls into it. And I'd always buy extra roll. And I set my tray down. And Bubba grabs my roll. And not the day to grab my roll. So I pick up my tray, I slam it down, and I said, Get the F off my food. And the entire, it was like a movie scene where the entire cafeteria went quiet, turned around and looked at me. The, te- the table of teachers looked at me. I didn't get in trouble. No one said anything to me. But it was just like this look of, preacher boy just said a curse word. Right. And it's just this mentality of, you're held to the stance. It's like, guys, I mess up. Like, and, right. and that's a ridiculous, I'm giving a ridiculous example because, you know, it, cursing, it, like I said, is whatever. But it's a standard, like, and trust me, I held myself to a hard, a hard, hard standard as a as a kid, on, and it was hard on myself. But they, if you mess up, it was here's a chance to bring bring down someone that's faith is important to them, and right. because you are the pastor kid, whether it is people at your school or it was people in the congregation, you just you couldn't do certain things. My older brother, he had a band in high school, and they would like to practice it at the church, and people would complain to my dad because they weren't playing Christian music in the church and it wasn't bad music. It just wasn't Christian music. And so it became an issue because the pastor's son was playing non-Christian music in the building. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But it was that, it's that two sided thing of I'm not going to be myself around you, but if you show me any cracks in who you are, I'm going to pounce on you. Yeah. And I, I started landing on the idea that if you don't feel like you should do it around me, probably shouldn't be doing it at all like it shouldn't matter that i'm here like if you if you feel self-conscious about it in any situation then why do it and i got the same kind of scrutiny and you're held to that weird standard and i think if we're and it was from people in the church you think we're we should all be to this standard the standard you're holding me to should also be the standard you hold yourself to because i'm not any different exactly as far as fallibility or responsibility because of who my dad is fortunately i don't know if it was because being the youngest child and you're seeing your older siblings go through things and so you're more prepared for those road marks when you 
get older. Because I know just from a little... I don't know from remembering, but I know from hearing that my older, my oldest sister and my brother, and I think my, the, my uh, sister Julie as well, to a, to maybe to the same degree, they kind of ran into being left out of things by people because they were the pastor's Mm -hmm. kids. And, and again, I don't know if it was because I was prepared for that as a possibility. And so I made sure that I was friends. I just had friends that I was friends with. I didn't care if I got left out by people I didn't care about. Yeah, I don't know what it was. It didn't seem to affect me as much, but I know that that, that was a a thing that they went through. And it's just it's silly. And granted, also it's because when you're a teenager, you're an idiot, and you yeah. and teenagers do stupid, thoughtless things. But I always thought that standard was real bizarre. And the, and the but the funniest thing to me about it was that the, the same kind of thing, the same people who held you to that standard were also the people that would say, well, you know what they say about preacher's kids. I'm like, <laughs> what do they say about preacher's kids? Oh, they're the worst. Like, wait a minute. 10 seconds ago, you're holding me to some standard of being, yeah. you know, a saint. And now you're lumping me into all these preacher's kids that were hellions. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. I would say that that is the thing I heard the most growing up and being a PK was, what you know what they say about preachers kids and it was usually one side of the, like one side of, the, of a coin it was either you were the worst human ever right, or, or like you were super socially awkward and you're were so naive that you didn't know that there were other humans that lived a different exactly kind of and um oftentimes it was when i was dating girls they like parents would be like oh what kind of preacher kid are you what, is, what does that mean like and I think, like, part of that is, you know, people want to, we, we want to analyze, interpret our world. And so we always want to give labels to things to help us understand. Yeah. So we use stereotypes to help us do that. And it's no different than if someone says, hey, are you, you know, are you Republican or Democrat? Well, I, those don't define who I am. Right. Like, nor does being a preacher kid define who I am. Get to know who I am and you'll know what my heart is. And... So like we like to put you know those labels to try to help you know help us understand where a person might fall, but honestly like for me, I think part of the reason that stereotype exists is because there is some truth. I knew preacher kids that were really really bad, and I knew preacher kids that were super super socially awkward, and part of that is not because of the kids themselves; it's because of the environment they were raised in, and it's all on the parents. And the parents, it's kind of like the preacher from uh footloose where it's like yes yeah. uber strict like southern baptist church where like all these rules like no dancing and what what you create is either you foster children that are going to rebel because you're essentially creating this like old testament we have laws 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 and you got to right. follow all of them and it's impossible for any child to follow all the rules that yeah. you have and so either you create a child that's going to rebel against that or you create a child that's so crushed by it that they don't there's not a natural development of who they should be socially. Right. Thankfully, I, I had parents that were... Anything that is good in me is a result of how my God used my parents in my life. Yeah, I firmly believe that. My parents were one... Does that mean my parents were perfect? Absolutely not. But my parents in were... They understood um, what their role was in terms of being godly parents. And they fostered and created a home life that allowed us to develop and become 
me and my two brothers hopefully become men of integrity yeah. and not heathens or people that knew what was going on in the world around us. Well, see, and I, I honestly, I mean, cause I, my parents kept, you know, really good relationships with other pastors who had kids our age. And I didn't, I mean, I knew a couple who were hellions um, and I knew a couple who were really awkward. But to me, the percentage wasn't any higher than the the Hellions that were whose parents were school teachers or whose parents were lawyers or doctors or bankers or whatever. And so I never understood where, from my experience, I didn't understand where the stereotype came from because the preacher's kids I knew were just as diverse and <clears throat> as far as personality types as any segment of of youth, but. I mean, I, my parents were also really cool. I remember, um, like, any time there was a field trip, and just about every field trip, one of my parents would chaperone, just because they wanted to be involved. And my parents were, like, one of the favorites of yeah. all of them. Like, I remember my mom, we took a field trip to Six Flags, and my mom would ride the roller coasters, and everybody thought that was so cool, because none of the other mothers were riding roller coasters, and my mom loved it. And... We went to Rock Eagle. It's this outdoor camp uh, thing in Georgia where they have a... There's actually an Indian uh, mound. like a You can see from way up top, like a tower. And you look down, it's this eagle shape made out of stones that I guess would have been Cherokee, I think. Anyway, so we go to that. I'm in fifth grade, and they have a wildlife exhibit, and they bring out a snake. And... Um, I, my mom is terrified of snakes and I asked her to hold it. So I, I don't have a problem with snakes. So I'm sitting there holding it and to her credit, she held the snake. She terrified to death. But it's just like they would do that kind of thing. I remember like we, we do the overnight field trips or something. My dad would chaperone and um, he was always hilarious because he, he didn't take any crap off of anybody, but he wasn't, you know, mean about it. But yeah. he was very, the way he is with us, uh, we just have a very like snappy, quick, witty rapport in our family, and that was his way of dealing with unruly kids. He could he could level anybody just by like playing fun and, yeah. and playful, but also let you know that like now it's time to shut up or go to bed or whatever. And all the other guys thought it was so cool because you know the preacher chaperone comes in and he's one of the most fun to hang around. So. I mean, my parents were always really good about that kind of thing. Very blessed. Okay, so I would get... This is not even as, as big and existential, but I'd be out, and then somebody would come up and, oh, hey, and they they either know my dad or my mom. Either know them personally or just know them from being a member of the church. And they'd come up and talk to you, but they'd never introduce themselves. Yeah. And that happens to me today. Like, I'll be out at some random thing, mm-hmm. and it'll be somebody, I was in your dad's church, so-and-so. Tell them I said hello. And then, and if you if you don't ask who they are, then you don't find out, because no one ever introduced themselves. And I would, that that drives me nuts. Yeah. Just the whole... Because like, in a sense, when you're in a town small enough, or maybe even and big enough, too, if the church is big, People know who the pastors are of the churches. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, 
people knew that James Merritt was the pastor of the Baptist Church and James Mooneyham was the pastor of the Methodist Church because those are the two big churches. And so people knew the names. And so people would know you even if you didn't know them. And that was just always a really surreal experience when you're out like with your friends at the movie theater or you're out at dinner or whatever. Yeah. And then people would come up and speak to you. And you sometimes you just have to assume that it must be from church. Mm-hmm. They never introduce themselves. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. creepy. Well, it was one of those things where, like, I, I do think that if I would, because like, I didn't grow up in small town. Uh, I think that if I was in a small town where it's more, like, it, maybe it was, for me it was more just people that were in our church or had some type of association with our church because yeah. their city was bigger. Um, but whereas if it's a smaller town, you might even have people at other churches that don't go to church because everyone knows who everyone is. Right. But what, and usually in those interactions, one, people would know things about me. Like, How do you know I don't that? know you, but you clearly know everything about my life, which is always weird because it's like, okay, you know everything about me and I don't know your name. Uh, but two, then they just ask you and talk to you about stuff that honestly – I'm I'm 12, dude. I don't care about potlucks. Like, yeah, I don't don't, talk to me about like you know sports, and we got we got something going. But you know, I don't know when the potluck dinner is on Saturday. Like, that's not important to my 12 year old brain. Tell your dad his sermon was good. Why don't you? Exactly. You got a phone. (laughs) What about it was good? You're a grown up. Uh, But uh, yeah, so it's just interesting because you more or less are becoming a middleman for them to just have more contact with the pastor, and you know they're. And I don't want to, that's a very general statement because I'm sure that there were people that cared about who you were, cared about who I was. Right. Um, and sometimes they're just trying to create conversation. But there's also those times where it's just, I don't know, you just, they get you in, and I hate small talk, and they engage you in yeah. small talk, and it's nothing as a, just because you're solely the PK and not for no other reason. Right. Well, and they, if, you, and I would, I always appreciated the people who would either they would at least tell me who they were, or who would want to talk about something other than church. Because again, it goes back to that thing about people just assume that church is your life, and it's. I mean, my faith is a big part part of my life, and church was part of the daily life because that was what my dad did. But I don't care that I don't I don't want to talk about what happened Sunday mm-hmm. morning. I'm glad it meant something to you, but. But there were the people also that knew you and who knew about you and who could talk to you about you and who would relate to you on a on a deeper level and just, oh, you're James's son. No, no you're Joel. Like, you know, yeah. to me that was a difference. Like the people who knew me by name, I appreciated better than the people who were just, oh, you're the you're the you're James's son. It's like, well, I mean I am. James is my dad, but I'm also Joel Mooneyhan. And there's like a lot more to me than <laughs> I'm not, like a, nope, that's all. You're one dimensional. You're a cardboard Sorry. cutout. Sorry, Joel. He bought you at Party City. Yeah, you were, and that is all you are. I'm going to start calling you Joel Jameson. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll stop talking to you if you do that. <laughs> um, did we run through everything on the, the outline that we worked up? No. The last last part. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of that, too. Like People were only interested in knowing you as the preacher's kid. There were those people. Well, yeah, and I guess what I had an additional just to say, like, lots of when people found out I was a preacher's kid, their interest oh, might have been peaked. So, yeah, yeah. from a kid level, it was if people find out I was a preacher kid, does your church have a gym? Can you get us in? Like, oh, yeah. And so, there's, it's like, what benefits can you give me? And then, if it's an adult and you're a preacher's kid, like, 
you know, my parents shielded me from, because, I mean, there's a lot of, like, there's there's just drama that happens in any Well, yeah, community. and I'm glad you brought that up, because there and was something else I wanted to cover. So there's drama that happens in any community, and your parents try to shield you from that because, you know, they're doing they're doing ministry, and you're just the kids that happen to be participating in the ministry mm-hmm. they're doing. And so sometimes people wouldn't, people just want to know gossip. People want to know, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. And, yeah. And so they try to manipulate kids because kids are usually easy to manipulate to get information. And um, thankfully, like, I, even as a kid, usually I think kids are, have a good way of sniffing some of that stuff out. Yeah. And so it's easy to deflect it. But I just, I, I do find that interesting. Once, once you become a, like a, some level of commodity or something that can serve some purpose for them, then there's a peaked interest. Well, not, I, I'm glad I, I didn't put it in the outline, but I meant to bring it up on a kind of a darker note. There were, when you, the one thing I will say that I know that I know differently than other people because I'm a preacher's kid is you, you learn a lot about the dark side of the church yes. and people. Yes, very much. And, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard when people are, when people choose to be awful but it's really hard when you have people that clearly have baggage they're carrying around and they project it all onto the pastor and when that person is your parent and Mm -hmm. seeing I mean I remember a couple times growing up where there were just hateful people and my parents did shield us from it you can't shield anyone from everything exactly um, unless you just you know lock them in the house and never let them out but in high school there was a, a thing of wasn't even a big deal, but it turned into something that more than it was. And you had these, there were just some adults that there was one guy in particular who was just always had something to complain about. And he piled on with this, I mean, a church of 5,000 members, maybe a dozen people who just really wanted to make things difficult. Mm -hmm. And some of them were leaders in the youth group and they used their position to literally manipulate friendships that I had. And it was just, that kind of thing is tough. Yeah. Because that's not what, I mean, that happens anywhere, I guess. But I mean, like you really do get a sense of yeah. And church people can be some of the most hateful people. <laughs> yes. It could, especially like, Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're Yeah, and you, you kind of let you, typically you want to let your guard down because you're like, okay, you know, this is a community where we love each other. We know we're not perfect by any means, but we, want, we should want the best for each other. But we are all broken and in like any community, especially one where, there is some level of power structure in a church, like people. Yeah. And if there's any level of power, people are going to want to have the power. And there, so you always will have in any congregation people that are wanting to be, you know, have that. And you do get exposed to a lot of nastiness, not just amongst congregation people, but especially towards your parents. That's you know, and it's and it's tough to see. It and it hurts. And your parent, like your parents, will try to shield you from that, but. Like you said, you can't shield everything. And then uh, just on, on top of that is just, you know, what are we, as just as Christians, how how do we keep our hearts from becoming cynical when, you, when you're exposed to that? Because thankfully for me, who my parents are, being exposed to that stuff didn't make my heart cynical. But I could see how for some people, you get you get torn down yeah it's 
you're likely to leave scars and likely to build up, start building up walls and start in your own insecurity and your own brokenness, starting to shut people out because of experiences that you had, especially when you're kids and you're impressionable. Right. So yeah, I mean, I will say it did prepare me for ministry now that I'm a pastor, that it, it has given me, I, I'm not caught off guard by certain things because I'm like, I know somewhat what to expect because I got to see that. Well, and you also, I don't know about you, but you, I learned a, a sense of kind of how to read people and yeah. how to understand. I mean, there are some people that as much as they try, they're very, as much as they try not to be, they're very transparent. Mm-hmm. And you know right off the bat that something's not right here. And you don't ever want to, you don't ever want to strike preemptively on somebody who you feel like might, but you definitely learn that, I don't want to say you have to be careful around people, but you learn how to spot people with ulterior motives or people who mm-hmm. are carrying around scars that they're going to use. But I was always impressed. I can remember two times in particular where these people just really wanted to have it out with my dad and, and the, you know, in the Methodist church, the whole, like the district superintendent would have to, you know, sometimes get involved. And there are two times in particular where there were a handful of people that wanted to go to the DS and complain about, you know, one thing or the other. And, and, and I guess in, in that there's a couple of things that would, that I learned some that were frustrating. One is that in a big enough church, even, you know, 10 or 12 people can, raise enough of a, a stink in your personal mm-hmm. life where it really does affect oh, yeah. your mood. And there'll be the, there'll be the people, you know, the rest of the church is happy or even, even oblivious. So it's frustrating because you don't want to add to the problem by, you know, saying, well, you know, if I wanted to expose you for all the horrible stuff you're doing and saying I could, but you yeah. try not to. And then the people that are genuinely like on your side and some of them just don't have the nerve to speak up or yeah. stand out. Like, Help us out here. Yeah. And then there are people that would. And those people became like gold. Yeah. Um, and those are the friendships, the people that will stand by you because they see you going through it and they don't want you to do it alone. But I can remember this one particular time where these people wanted to have it out with my dad and he, a few people offered to go with him. And he's, he's, he didn't want anyone to go. He didn't want to muddy the waters. And he just went and did it with the DS. Because um, he just wanted to know they had been going behind everybody's back. And no one had ever come to him directly. So he just wanted a chance to hear it straight from him. And seeing my parents go through that taught me a lot about courage and standing up to people. And also grace mm-hmm. when you're dealing with a lot of stress or yeah. pressure. That I don't think I would have learned if my parents did any other kind of necessarily did any other kind yeah. of work because you become the target and your family becomes the target exactly. people will drag you into it and again you learn how to spot those people you learn how to spot the people that are going to care about you Yeah, and you definitely learn a lot about what it means to stand with integrity when it would be so much easier to throw mud right back yeah very, very tempting very tempting yes uh, yeah and I, um, for me, a lot of the reason I never did was because like I don't want anybody else to have any other excuse to do this kind of mm-hmm. stupidity, you know, against my parents. Because if nothing else, like <laughs> I don't want to be another reason that 
that yeah. kind of nonsense. But I mean, that was, you know, a six month period in my whole life. It wasn't like that was common. I mean, generally everything was, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Growing up. Well, what else? One thing I, I one thing I wrote down uh, wasn't on your outline that, and this doesn't affect not not an aspect for every PK. It's very I think it's a very small percentage of PKs that affect me potentially affected you. Uh, like I said, I love being a PK, but being a PK it did provide for me personally one insecurity that Satan has tried to attack me with over and over and over again and. Not only are we PKs, but we are PKs that decided to be pastors. Yeah. And for me personally, I think that my father is a very gifted and anointed speaker. Mm-hmm. I think that he is amazing at it. I, I, and just, he's great. And I am proud of the pastor that he is, the preacher that he is. And I could only hope that I could ever be yeah. half as good as he is. But the interesting insecurity that, that it cr- created in me being the PK, whether people had the expectation or not, most likely they didn't, and it's just the expectation I've created that other people had for me was that I'm going to be my as good as my dad. Yeah, or, yeah. And so for me, in my own development as a pastor, like saying I'm, I'm not good enough yet, I'm not good enough, turning turning down opportunities to speak sometimes, when, when especially when I was first starting out, because I'm, I... I'm not good enough speaker yet. I, I don't. I don't know all that I I could know, uh, biblically speaking, and um, so it was just this weird insecurity that it created in me, and it's all developed out of my own. It's not like people have said something to me. Right. It's not like <clears throat> clearly not what my parents were wanting for me, especially my dad. And but for me personally, and I think for Satan, for anyone that because I believe that everyone has a calling in their life, whether sure. it's ministry through working in the church or ministry, working as a teacher, you are you have a calling in your life and Satan's gonna to want to do whatever he can to mess that up. To undermine. And that's just where he was able to has been able to find a foothold in me and that insecurity. Like you're not your dad. And he's right, I'm not my dad. And what I've come to realize like with talking with my dad about and being honest like how I feel, like God's given each one of us our own personalities, our own skill set and he wants that to come out when how we speak and yeah I share a lot of similarities with my dad and I'm thankful yeah. for that but I also have different personality than he does in other areas and hopefully that comes out when I do preach right well and I kind of yes definitely relate to that there were people that treated it as a foregone conclusion that oh you're going to go into ministry I'm like, I am but not because my dad mm-hmm. is a pastor because my brother's not a pastor. Neither of my sisters are pastors. Now, their their faith is important to them, and they uh, they have found ways to to be engaged in ministry and engaged in church life that are very meaningful and very important. I'm the only one of the kids who went to seminary, and I knew from a very young age that that was where I felt directed and and uh, pulled by God. But there was that sense of, because I do have a lot of respect for my dad and for my mom, that sense of, am I going to measure up to this perception of mm-hmm. what it means to be a man of God based on how I feel about my parents? And I don't know if I've ever felt, 
not so much as of an insecurity on my end, but definitely an awareness. And just like you said, my parents were very, it was very important to them that I become who I am Mm -hmm. because I'm not my dad, but he's not me. And during different times in my life, they were both my parents offered a lot of very wise counsel, but there were also times when they could see that this is, this is something you should speak to someone else about because you don't need, you don't want undue influence, you know, for the Mm -hmm. same reasons. And so they were very uh, deliberate about when and how they spoke to me about, you know, the things I was discerning and calling through and connecting me with people that would be supportive, that could give me perspective that either they had but didn't want it to you know, be imposed on me or who, you know, may not have even, they might, I remember there was somebody that they got me connected with who was also a pastor's kid who was in minute, he was a pastor of a church. And yeah, and just that whole, am I going to measure up? Well, you don't have to measure up. Exactly. Because it's not, that's not his walk and it's not your walk. It, you're, you have to do your thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So that was, it's just always been an interesting dynamic. It's like, I've always been proud to be a, a, a PK. I've, I've liked the opportunity has provided me like even though I know a lot of PKs that haven't liked it for me like you touched on before I think it's like given us an awesome opportunity as children to learn certain you know cues like just how to read people and I think that's been beneficial for just in life yeah um, I think that I'm I work with at disadvantaged and at risk youth and every day I see kids whose parents literally do not care about them. And and not that my parents, just because they were, my dad was a pastor, that it's, it was different. But I got to live in a family where not only did my parents care and love, about, love me and provide me with stuff, but they shared the gospel with me. Yeah. And it was an active part of who they were daily. And I am grateful that I got to be a PK. I'm grateful that for those opportunities and I've loved it. And that's why I've always cared about like and said that I've enjoyed being a PK. I don't all the other stuff, the some of the aggravation that comes along with it has been entirely worth it. Yeah. Um, it's prepared me now for when I have my own kids. I'm going to know how to help them, you know, through that. I'm gonna know how to shield them from certain things because I had two parents that were great at it. So that the whole experience of being PK has been amazing and I'm grateful for that and been proud to say that I was one. Yeah, and there were, it definitely prepared me for certain ups and downs in ministry. Mm-hmm. Like when I've served a church or... Um, I mean, I served a church where I had a fight I had to deal with too. There was a lot of strength to be drawn from having gone through it before and knowing that it would have been easier to fight back ugly but that's not how I saw it done you know you fight back with integrity and you stand your ground Mm -hmm. but there's a gracious way to do that and I don't I I knew that because I saw it you know exemplified growing up and and then other things I mean just you know knowing how to care for somebody in grief mm-hmm. or knowing how to relate to somebody who you don't visibly have anything in common with and knowing how to have conversations with people that aren't 
shallow or that aren't condescending. But definitely, I mean, for, for all that I don't know what it's like not to be a preacher's kid, I know that there are certain aspects, now that I'm 33 and can look back with hindsight, that there are certain things that are a part of who I am or part of the way I approach ministry because of having grown up. And one of the things that I can really connect with is the, the whole idea of God with us because both my parents, mom and dad, both were very present. Uh, I mean, even, you know, doing, like, my mom would bake cookies or something, and she'd want us to come in and be a part of that and, you know, help crack the eggs or help, you know, whip up the batter or whatever. And I can remember, um, like, my dad would come home from work and he'd still be in his suit and he'd like get on the floor and play GI Joes and just that kind of, you know, God wants to be hands on with you and mm-hmm. God wants you to come get your hands dirty with him. And God wants to get on the ground, you know, where you are. And because of the, you do get an image of what, who God is, if you're, you know, because your parents are caring for you the way God mm-hmm. cares for humanity. And I think you and I both are fortunate to have yeah. that, you know, that kind of, uh, upbringing. For sure. Yeah. I guess that covers that, unless you had anything else. No. Um, I mean, I feel like kind of kind of the gamut of, you know, what it kind of looks like, you know, to be a PK and some of the ups and downs of it. But um, it's been good. I've been wanting yeah. to, I've been wanting to be on the podcast and. Yeah, I'm glad we could do it. And uh, so excited! Can't wait to be on more and. Um, They'll be awesome. Exactly. On on the next one, we need to we need to um, call uh, Stables. Yeah, shout out to our favorite pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, she'll know. <laughs> That's all that matters. All right, we'll close this one. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Southern Reverend. I've been your host, Joel Mooneyhan. I hope you've had a good time and that you'll come back soon. And when you do, uh, tell a friend about it, because the more listening, the merrier. For more from Southern Reverend, visit www.southernreverend.com. You'll hear from me again soon, but until then, y'all take care and be good to one another.